This is Greg Ferris, the founder of Myobrain. Thank you for listening. We have an episode today, an interview with Mason Woodruff. He is Mason Woodruff on Instagram and Mason Fit on his website. He's a good expert on cooking, making macro-friendly meals. We discuss a lot of things on how you can be a beginner in the kitchen, still get a lot of good things done. So great episode here, a lot of good information about cooking and making good meals. So check him out on Instagram. I love his recipes. Also, if you're new here, you can check out all of our online coaching options at myobrain.co. Thank you. All right, so we are here with Mason Woodruff. Hopefully I said your your name right. I always actually refer to you as Mason Fit when I uh, tell people the new way. But uh, so if you're not aware, he runs an Instagram page, website, uh, Mason Fit, and also Kind of Healthy Recipes. Does a really good job with putting together kind of macro-friendly meals, but also just not like the really basic stuff. So uh, me and my girlfriend have been probably using one or two of his recipes for like six months uh, straight now. And he's been really a savior for us. Been something that I've shared with almost all of my clients as well. So wanted to bring him on the podcast. Um, we don't really have too many people we bring on the podcast or even myself. I don't talk to you guys, our clients about cooking so much. It's, it's not really my passion. So bringing somebody on that really is an expert in that is going to be cool. So um, Mason, are you excited, man? Yeah, I'm happy to uh, to be on with you. You got one thing wrong, got my name right, but I'm no expert. I'm oh. just a I'm just a home cook like everyone else. <laughs> that's, not, that's not true, okay? That's not true. I get cooking questions where it's just like you know, people don't know how to use their stovetop, sort of. Sometimes you know, like, um, and I'm kind of there. Like anybody that knows me knows I'm not a foodie. Like I want things like three to four ingredients. I'm kind of that guy. So, um, but you're good in between. So we'll kind of jump into that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So the first question I like to ask a lot of people is kind of a nice icebreaker. And it's kind of always curious uh, if you're a coffee drinker, A, and B, kind of what is your, what's your kind of coffee setup at home? So I'm far from a coffee snob. I, I, and I go through phases. I think a lot of it's like, based on season too, like cool weather, which we don't get a ton of, you know, a few months. I'm like all about coffee, warmer months. I do love like a sugar-free monster or energy drink. Um, so I'm guilty of that, but coffee set up at home. Yeah. We're, we're definitely no snobs. Like I've, I've tried it all like percolators and French press and grinding my own coffee versus everything else. Uh, Starbucks, you know, people, real coffee enthusiasts think Starbucks has the worst coffee ever. Uh, but I do love a good, like, cold brew, too. Yeah. Like, even in the cool months, I'm all about a cold brew. Uh, and I don't think they have a terrible cold brew. Uh, don't kill me. But at home, like, we, we were gifted an espresso, so we've been putting that to good use over the past month or two. And we yeah. do love that. But You say a Nespresso? An espresso, yeah. It makes, like, the... Uh, Kind of like a Keurig, but for espresso. Yeah. Right. So sore subject. Um, but <laughs> my uh, girlfriend like bought one, pretty much was given one like for 20 bucks or something like that from one of her friends. And uh, we got it, I think yesterday or two days ago, we like cleaned it out, did all that stuff. And then I went to use it yesterday morning and it just like the, the thing wouldn't shut. 
we had like call customer service and like, so hopefully we get in a new one, but we were both really excited about that. I'm sure it's a great machine. It's just kind of like a random occurrence, but it's funny you said that. Um, I do love it. It's, I mean, Hey, it makes great uh, espresso and you make, they sell the different cups for different sizes. Like yeah. you can go like shots or you can go like eight ounces, 14 ounces. I, I, I like the option. Yeah. Uh, the options there, but, Good luck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just funny you brought that up because it was like, yeah, we, we pretty much just do like a French press every morning. And I'm not a coffee snob either because I always have like some chocolate milk, French vanilla stuff in it. So it's, I just need some coffee to put my other stuff in with it. Um, that's mm-hmm. kind of cool to hear. Um, yeah. So let's kind of get in a little bit of your journey on how you started with kind of recipe development, making that your, your business and all of those things. I think I read on your Instagram kind of the title or one of the things was personal trainer turned food blogger. And um, so, yeah, kind of give me the, the origin on how you maybe transition into your maybe more of a fitness career, like what I have currently into like now I'm going to do recipes and things like that. Sure. So uh, finished uh, or went to, went to college to be a dietitian, um, worked in a, a hospital and food service department, like my senior year of school. And that scared me away, you know, bad experience. So, uh, and probably a lot like you, like I was always very interested in fitness, the, the science of nutrition and biochemistry and all that kind of stuff, way more than um, any of like kitchen management or even like MNT or medical nutrition therapy. None of that stuff was all that interesting to me. Um, so I was like more on like human performance side and that was not my degree at all. You know, I'm sure every DPD program is different, but not mine at all. Um, so by senior year, I was like, all right, I'm definitely going to finish. Cause I was like, a, I don't know, it felt like my 12th year in college. Uh, but I was like, I'm definitely just going to finish this out, but I got to figure out what I'm going to do. Um, got my CSCS and was like, I'm going to just train. I'm going to, you know, go work in a gym. Uh, luckily kind of started blogging, uh, stumbled into the online coaching world around 2014 and, and did that kind of as a full-time career, not blogging, but more like personal training and working in gyms and then blogging on the side, doing some freelance writing. Uh, and I probably did that for till 2017. Um, blogging was definitely like, I wouldn't even call it a side hustle or anything like that. Cause it made like no money at all. Um, but I had always been like, I was a, I'm an avid reader or I used to be, I don't read as much anymore. Love podcasts, love all that. Just a, a knowledge junkie. Um, and, and like I'd gotten into, you know, probably from 2014 when I started blogging until 2017 or so, just like the business of blogging, like you see all these people making all kinds of money and they, you know, all this stuff. Uh, so in 2017, I just decided, all right, I've had enough. At that point, I'd kind of phased out of personal training as much. I still had a small online business, uh, but was mainly working in like uh, sales training and management for gyms. Uh, And then it got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to make this work. So quit my job. It was like, I'm a full-time blogger now. No real plan. And then within six months, like I was just like, I've always loved creating content. Obviously that's why I started the blog in the beginning. Um, and then about it, I gave myself kind of like a six to 10 month runway. I was like, I'm going to figure something out or I'm just going to go back to work. Um, in that six month window, I put out content of all kinds, like, uh, home gym, 
uh, program, which I should probably dust off right now, I guess, <laughs> put that back out there. <laughs> it's like a home gym uh, or a home workout training program, like with video tutorials, um, doing like doubling down on freelance writing about like why you should take creatine, you know, like all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and the stuff that did the best was uh, food recipes, very simple stuff. Like uh, even though I learned about food science in college a little bit, I mean, I'm a minimalist, uh, lots of like what you probably call bachelor food in the beginning. Um, and people seem to like that. So I started doing more and more and more. And then towards the end of my runway, you know, before I was, I was kind of getting ready to go get a job again. I was like, all right, I don't know if it's going to work. If it is, it's going to take a little bit longer. Um, I, I kind of lucked into a, a deal doing some recipe to recipe development for a, a company. Uh, and that kind of extended that runway. Uh, and then all the while just practicing more at, at cooking and recipe development and experimenting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and just have got, you know, in my opinion, better and better ever since. Yeah. So that's, awesome. that's kind of it. The origin story. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. I didn't know most of that. I mean, I, I kind of assumed some of it were maybe you started off training, but it's interesting too. You kind of were generally trying to do the blog thing and you had different content. You kind of found one was it was your niche and you ran with it. Right. Um, I think that's really cool. I mean, I don't talk about like entrepreneurship too much on this podcast and things like that, but it, it's awesome to hear someone's story. I think there's with the dietitian, like dietetic world, there are, I mean, men, it's still like, you know, 1% of the people that go into it or whatever. But I had so many classmates that just didn't really have a vision of what they wanted to do. Uh, oddly enough, everyone was like, I don't want to work in a hospital. And that's like the number one location for dietitians. So it's like this disconnect between what you're learning and what your expectations from like employers are versus your vision. So it's cool to kind of see you still, I mean, you're using a lot of that knowledge, just maybe not in like the tpn sort of a, a route you know so that's very right. cool um yeah man so one of the topics i wanted to get into you know you mentioned generally kind of a lot of your recipes are not for me but still like on the simpler side of things it's not too crazy the prep time isn't crazy things like that so what's your experimentation process when you think okay i want to make a chicken and dumplings recipe um, like how many times have you tested that out? Like, like, where do you kind of get your own inspiration from as, as someone that does this professionally? It's tough. <laughs> Some, I'll say sometimes it's first try, first try it works. Um, because some recipes like, and especially the longer I do it, uh, the more kind of point of reference I'll have for a different recipe. Like I can make a, uh, for, for chicken and dumplings is a perfect example. So I know how to make chicken and dumplings. How do I make it healthier? Well, I think I can take, um, I have a Greek yogurt biscuits recipe that's really popular. Biscuit dough makes a perfect dumpling. I can also make that recipe a little bit easier using rotisserie chicken than having to cook your own chicken. So we put all that together and then, you know, about an hour or two later, we've got a finished recipe. Other things where I'm starting from scratch or maybe I'm going off of um, kind of like community requests, you know, every now and then I'll put out a feeler like, what do you, what would you guys like to see? Or if I'm working on a specific project like a, a pasta cookbook or something like that, uh, you know, I'm taking requests and then I'm doing a little bit more research on like, 
okay, what is, what is this dish? Like I've never even had this myself. Sometimes, you know, I might go have a version um, and then I'm doing some research on like what's traditionally in it. And then it begins like what kind of things can we make healthier substitutions for? Um, and then it's testing, you know, some things, like I said, one try, some or two, some definitely the baking recipes sometimes can take, you know, four or five tries. Um, Savory is a bit easier because there's wiggle room and like you kind of, what I've learned is most people are going to modify anyway, you right. know, with what you have on hand. So with savory recipes, like your precision isn't nearly as important as baking, like baking. I mean, I have to get ratios, like we're down to the gram. It matters there, you know, like every gram matters, especially if you're handling dough. So those things are more complicated and take some more experimentation, but uh, the savory is pretty easy. That's probably why I do more savory these days. Right. That's really <laughs> cool. This wasn't on my list of questions, but now it, it kind of like sparks my interest with your job as being someone that makes food content for people. Do you ever, based on the community things, or maybe you kind of see like, oh, I haven't done something like this in a while. Do you ever make something that you just don't enjoy eating or don't eat it? Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, probably more than you'd think. Um, I love like my personal palate and, and it's still, I mean, it's 90% of what I do is mainly right. like comfort food, Tex-Mex, that kind of stuff. Like that's just where my palate enjoys. And I don't stray too far from it because it's also kind of like my wheelhouse. Like I said, I'm not an expert, but if I am, it's probably more on that than right. um, definitely like not Mediterranean cooking or Asian inspired cooking. Um, so I don't do a ton of that, but it's, those are huge. I, and I'm honestly not a big fan of Italian outside of like your yeah. basic pasta recipes. And if you count, if you even count pizza as Italian, probably not. Um, but you know, I'll experiment and I do make some, uh, especially like the Asian inspired recipes, like those recipes aren't my favorite to make. I'm not a huge personal fan, but at this point I've built up a pretty decent library of that right. cuisine. Um, that's probably the, the easiest example. Like this, I think most recently is probably a sticky, sweet and spicy pork, you know, and, and that's, it's kind of a, I mean, it's a great tasting recipe, but it's kind of cooked in a way that with that sticky sweet sauce where like the texture isn't like a crispy pork cause you're not right. frying it in this case. Um, so like it's very tender and tastes great, but the texture is just not right, you know? Right. So that's probably a good example. So to answer yeah. your question, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that you, I mean, it is, it's kind of your job. You have to do it. Um, I think something that I kind of really appreciate with your recipes too is I mean, the variety is fine, but if someone probably finds you and does one or two of your recipes, they probably do err on the side of the style you like to make that, like you said, you can kind of buy, you know, 10 or 20 different foods and use multiple of your recipes. Like you said, like if you have like the chicken, you make a lot of chicken recipes, so you can do two different Mason fit chickens or uh, I've noticed a lot of spices you do. It's a lot of similarities there. So I don't have to get like, one of the things I hate with spices is buying like some thing that was in this one recipe and it's in the back of my cabinet for like two years and I've used like this much of it because I made some Thai food. So I really appreciate kind of that. Like I like the consistency to be honest, but obviously it's, it's nice to branch out to kind of just give people uh, some variety, you know? Uh, yeah. And that took a while to, and kind of what you're saying there, that that took me a while to, um, 
I guess to learn that about myself, like, or for that to click, you know, like using the same things in different ways. Like for a while I thought I've got to do more variety, you know, like this is, I mean, this seems like I'm an amateur, but you know, I guess there is like a, you can have an expertise in like one very small niche of cooking, you know, that's a, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of blends into my, my next question where I, you know, as as mild brain providing kind of health and service for people and I'm sure you're very aware of this and you probably even get feedback from a recipe development standpoint is that one of the barriers for a lot of people or what they say the barrier is uh, for cooking well at home is the time. Um, they just think I don't have time to cook or it takes too long. And I think a lot of that comes from an expectation of maybe what they're seeing online are these grandiose recipes and they're like really intimidated by it. Like, that's how I am. Like I just, I almost never follow any sort of food blogger thing like that. You're probably the first person I've ever followed. I followed some like allrecipes.com or, or things like that, but because it was, I was so intimidated by it. So do you have any pieces of advice for people that may be in that, that situation where they're kind of intimidated by not just your recipes, but in general with cooking? And then what are some of your like go-to staple meals or, or styles of cooking just to be time efficient? with, with making those meals? Sure. So I would say, um, just easy tips, like get, uh, the more consistent you can be. And you guys probably talk about this with your coaching. I would assume like the, the more consistent you can be with your meals and like eat and make the same things, the easier it's going to be to like, for instance, if you got three or four staple recipes that you you're comfortable eating, on a regular rotation, that's going to make life a lot easier because one, you're going to get so good. You don't need the recipe to follow. You can just make the things Uh, that's going to be easy. You know, I don't want to give tips like buy your proteins in bulk, buy your meat in bulk and then prep it and then store it because people know that. Um, I would say like, if you are, if you're more of a prepper, like if you like the meal prep uh, and you need quick meals, I think ground, your ground meats, so ground beef, ground chicken, ground turkey, ground pork, whatever you like, um, those just mixed with one to two veggies is the easy. So like a skillet style recipe. So you're throwing your meat in, you're cooking, and then you're throwing in something like green beans, Brussels sprouts, broccoli. You can do rice, cauliflower rice. You can do potatoes, bell peppers, whatever. You can, and you can take that, like depending on what spices and, maybe oil you use, like you can take that in a lot of different directions. Like you could have, I have a sweet chili ground beef and Brussels sprouts is pretty popular. And then I have like a, a loaded ground beef and potatoes. That's pretty popular. And that one's like cheesy bacon. And the other one's a little more like freshness, you know, like um, different, definitely different flavor profiles there, but basically the same ingredients. Right. So, and then for those, like I honestly use, um, kind of getting back to like, took me a while to be okay with the simple ingredients, you know, like blending a little bit of like fine, not, I wouldn't even call it fine dining, but more (laughs) elaborate cooking with uh, very simple meals, frozen vegetables, you know, like stop buying a ton of stuff that goes to waste, you know, or or you feel like you're on a time crunch, you know, like where like the whole time, like you go to the store and then starting then there's like this, invisible clock in your mind that's like 
man, I've got to go cook that, you know, like, or it's going to go bad. And it feels like that for a few days. So, yeah. you, you know, your frozen veggies are your friend, especially if you have them on hand. Like if you end up with just some meat in the fridge, that's an easy, super easy. And, it, and it's going to make a ton of food. Like, I mean, unless you're a huge person, one pound of meat mixed with one to two veggies probably makes, I don't know, six to eight meals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely can attest to what you were saying about the um, having staple recipes and even for simple, I mean, if you're anybody like me and most of my clients are somewhat similar to me and we're not foodies, right? The first time you make that recipe, even if it's something pretty simple, it takes a bit. You're like, okay, step one and then do it. And then step two, okay, what was step one again? All that stuff. Especially there's multiple parts. Like I have to boil pasta and do this and chop that. But as you said, it may take me an hour to do it the first time and then 40 minutes, but then I can always do it now in 30, right? So once you kind of get over that initial barrier of doing that new meal and then again, not having like every week, we have to make four different meals and it has to be different all the time, I think is a good way to, to navigate around that. That's really helpful. And then something else, again, specific to your recipes that I like is that what you were saying is that sometimes that the taste, especially of like the meat is so variable. Meaning like if I have just the meat of say like your barbecue pulled pork, I can have that with rice or potatoes or just veggies, but it's like the meat is kind of consistent. So you can just have like three or four pounds for a pulled pork meat and then get more creative with your carbohydrate sources. Right. So it doesn't, I try to educate people on like, there doesn't have to be either like boring or grandiose there can be kind of this middle ground of of some variation with your carbs or or is do like a whole bunch of rice and then mix up your proteins or whatever but that that's that's good to hear um kind of all, like kind of flowing with that as well uh seasonings are something that i think a lot of people don't understand the power of that of just like people hate chicken breast they don't understand they just found four or five seasonings because maybe all they do is put pepper on it or something like that. If they could just find some seasonings, it could really change the game on how they could perceive healthy food. And let's be honest, like a burger from hop or hop dotty or something like that tastes better than 93, seven at your house, but there's a mm -hmm. seasonings can be a good uh, navigation around that. So, um, what are some of your favorite seasonings that can kind of be used in a variety of setting with things like, you know, pork or beef or chicken that you kind of like? Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> um, I would say if you're, if you're a fan of like your Tex-Mex, you can get by with like three to four spices and that would be, probably paprika and you can buy two forms. You can get a sweet paprika and a smoked paprika. Um, going to be a big difference in flavor there. Like if you like the smoky style, obviously smoked paprika is going to come in there. Uh, goes great with like bacon. Um, those like really kind of savory, cheesy dishes. Um, uh, so paprika, dried chilies. So you can use just plain chili powder if you want, but those are going to have something like if you buy just chili powder, like in the big tubs, a lot of times those are going to have like salt and other things added. Uh, but you can get just dried chilies, dried peppers that are ground up. So you can get chipotle pepper, you can get ancho chilies, you can get, um, I mean, just all kinds. Um, and those are a little bit kind of like you mentioned your Thai food, like you probably bought maybe like ground Thai chili. 
and if you don't cook a lot like that, you're probably not going to use it that often. So maybe just go with plain chili powder. Um, and then garlic powder, a big one, you know, that's definitely a home cook's friend. Um, yeah, I mean, those three big ones, cumin would be in that realm. Uh, and then if you're like really uh, maybe comfort food, savory stuff, I love using dry mustard. So it'd just be like a yellow powder. Um, brown sugar, I mean, if you count that, like brown sugar swerve makes a calorie-free erythritol-based uh, brown sugar substitute. Uh, if you're cool with artificial sweeteners, that's a good option. Uh, you can do a lot with those. And then just, I, I use some dried herbs here and there, but not that often. Like, you know, you can get some dried rosemary and ground coriander, which kind of gives you that cilantro flavor. Um, but, but those really aren't that necessary. I mean, and you mentioned salt and pepper, like you can do a ton with salt and pepper. Yeah. Uh, and then I know these aren't technically seasonings, but onion and then fresh garlic, you know, like minced or crushed or whatever. Like if you had salt, pepper, onion, garlic, uh, and then if you're real lazy, you can go onion powder and garlic powder exclusively. Uh, I mean, you can do a lot with those. I would say there aren't, a, there's not a ton left in my spice cabinet that I can think of. Yeah. That's, you know, not like maybe like cinnamon and nutmeg and stuff like that. But I rarely use those in savory recipes. That'd be more for baking. Yeah. That's, that's great to hear too. Cause when you can think of someone that makes recipes for a living and you name like five to 10 staples, it tends to help people with the, the overwhelming thing. You know, it's just, it's more simple than they think. And I've noticed that a lot as I've gotten a little bit more into cooking. I wouldn't say I'm into cooking though. It's like, to be honest, my, seasonings for my eggs and my seasonings for my chicken unless it's like a specific recipe aren't terribly different like they really mm -hmm. aren't it's like uh always these four and then like one or two are are different between those two things right so uh that's that's awesome to hear that they're just kind of you know it can be simpler um than people think you know it's less than 10 for sure yeah. I, I mean i have way more but like i'm thinking of things that have just been sitting in there forever i yeah. mean Maybe dried oregano is one that I use more often, but, but yeah. I mean, I'm sure things will continue to hit me, but really like, yeah, less than 10. You don't need a ton. Um, yeah. And I would say probably, you know, if you can, staying away from like the blended spices is probably a good idea because you can learn a lot more about like what flavors you really like versus don't. Um, you know, like instead of buying taco seasoning, like in packets, just make it yourself. You probably don't need nearly as much salt as you think you do in that kind of stuff. Um, not that salt's a bad thing, but you know, like there's a, a lot more flavor you can add through other things, you know, besides salt and pepper. Salt. But, yeah. yeah, that's cool. That's, I mean, that's certainly where I started my journey at. Like I love just remember like being a bro back in the day, it was mustache, you know, like the garlic or whatever it was. And that's like, I would just, that's it. I would just use that. Like there was no other seasoning. It was just Miss Dash stuff. And like what you said, I thought, I remember just kind of looking at the back of those sometimes and being like, this has four things I already have on my, my cupboard. I could just do, make it myself, you know, and not spend four bucks on it or something like that. So that's kind of good to see is just as you get more comfortable staying away from that and realizing that you probably have those things yourself and you can use more or less as you feel comfortable and as you like your style. So uh, so this is something I actually enjoy with cooking. Our next topic are uh, kitchen appliances. So actually one of my friends mentioned that I don't own a lot of things. Like I don't have like a whole bunch of pictures and a whole bunch of furniture and stuff, but 
I realized what I do have a lot of is kind of like kitchen gadgets. I'm a, I'm a gadget guy. So um, maybe I'll, maybe I'll explore some of the things that I have, but for you, what's a good um, kind of starter pack you recommend for people to branch out, assuming they have things like spatulas, pots, pans that, that pretty much everybody has. What are some of your favorite or what you recommend to people to make their life easier uh, with cooking? Probably, probably a, a little boring for your taste, but I'm going to go number one is probably a food scale, uh, which most of your people probably already have a food scale, uh, but you got to have a food scale. Um, I have a, I mean, I pull out my measuring cups every once in a while, but it's well, honestly the only reason I ever use measuring cups is to figure out serving sizes on recipes. But if not, I would never use it. Um, yeah, food scale, food thermometer, uh, you'll just feel so much more confident cooking meat. Um, a big cutting board and a good knife. And those are probably the four, like you get those four, you're good to go. And then extras, a food processor. Um, I'd probably go food processor before I got a real fancy blender. Um, you can do both if you want. And then, you know, like it's hot right now, an air fryer, pressure cooker, slow cooker, those kinds of things. I use the Ninja Foodie, which is kind of like an all-in-one. Um, and I really love it. I've tried a bunch of other stuff, had an Instant Pot, had a, several air fryers, and I like it. Um, but is it totally necessary? No. Like, right. You can get by without it. I don't know. What do you, what do you like? What are your and I'm a Ninja Foodie, for sure. We got one <laughs> of those um, maybe a year or so ago. And... I would say half our meals incorporate it somehow. I mean, it's so variable, so it's kind of easy that that would occur. But yeah, I really like that. I also really love that you can make like almost your entire meal in there. Like one of our staples is like a, we do like baked carrots, rice, and salmon like every single week. And I can make the salmon and the rice like at the same time. And it takes like 20 minutes. And I want to touch mm -hmm. it. my favorite thing about the foodie is I don't have to like flip it or is it done or whatever. You kind of just, I know I like do the two minute pressure cooked and seven minute broil and I'm not messing it up. So it's an investment. I think I have a bigger one. I think it was like 200 ish dollars. I think there's a small one too, but man, like it's, it's a lifesaver. If you guys need a, uh, again, that's not a starter package. I think that's more of like, uh, you have some money. It could be. Yeah, it could be, you know, honestly, like, and, and we used to live in a very small apartment and it, it lived on our counter. Like it was counter space worthy uh, because we used it every day. I mean, if like, if I could go back to my college days, like where I had nothing, but I could have a foodie, like, I mean, you could basically replace your entire, all your kitchen appliances, like stovetop range, oven, you could do it all in there. So it could be a great starter pack, honestly. That's true. Yeah. Maybe if you only needed one thing, uh, it may be a good consolidation. That's why I like it. Again, like I don't have to have a, a rice cooker anymore. It's my rice cooker. It's also my uh, blanket on a, it's also my crock pot now. I, I have those things. So I still have a crock pot and a rice cooker and all that. I don't need it. I can just sell it or, or get rid of it. So yeah, it may take up some space in your counter, but then you don't have all of your other uh, goodies. Um, I want to touch a point on your meat thermometer uh, thing. I did not think of that as something to be in a starter pack, but that is uh, really helpful for me when I'm making steaks. I actually, I love steak, but I absolutely hate cooking it because I, I just never know what is done. Like I've had some steaks that I think are like, 
done and it's like cold in the middle or mm -hmm. I, or I just burn it. Right. So now when I can just take the subjectiveness out of it with the meat thermometer, pretty much the only thing that I personally use it for, but yeah, it's just, I want medium. It says it's 145 or whatever it is. And it's, I eat it and I feel comfortable. I'm not like, am I going to get sick or whatever? So <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, oh, that's me, man. I'm, I'm a hypochondriac to the fullest. Yeah. Like if I go to Shake Shack and it's a little bit too pink, and I'm like, ooh, ground beef should be well cooked. Like, <laughs> you know, and I'll think about it for two days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I don't have one, but my, my roommates does though. And I probably made steaks like 10 times in the past year, hated it nine times and used the, maybe for like Valentine's we made steaks and we used the meat thermometer and it like totally eased my mind and it was, it was awesome. So yeah, I think those and they're, are and they're pretty inexpensive. Like, right. I mean, you can get, if you, I would say it's one thing you probably don't want to skimp on. Like you can get one that's closer to $30. It's like a, um, the one I have an instant read thermometer. You can go upwards to like 80 and get a legit thermopin, but the one that's like $10 will get the job done. Right. You know? So yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's must pretty have. simple tool to use. And trying to think of other things that we use a ton of. Um, I mean, the foodie really does replace a lot of things, to be dead honest mm -hmm. with you. Uh, this is really the one. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. The, the, one, the one area where it lacks, like um, if I had one qualm with it, it would be like, so you mentioned steak, like searing searing steak or your proteins like because it's got that ceramic pot um and the one thing i don't love about it is like that ceramic pot is uh like it has the uh, i don't know convex concave i don't know my, i don't remember my lenses here but it's bubbled up so like if you have oil in it it's going to run to the sides and like it's got a it's not a 100 percent even cooking surface right. like a stainless steel or cast iron skillet would be so if you do need to like get a really good sear on meat, that's still going to be your best bet. Um, but other than that, I mean, you can make it work. And yeah. like, it's not totally incapable of doing that. Like you mentioned the pulled pork recipe or the carnitas, those are seared in the foodie, um, but they're giant pork tenderloins. So you're not after, and they're going to be shredded anyway. So it's yeah. not like it's, you know, that important that you get a great sear. But that's, it's a, one of its only downsides to me. And it's a little loud. It is. I can get over that. Right. I have a, <laughs> I have a ninja, a ninja, um, uh, like blender, the one you like attach onto and that thing mm -hmm. is loud. <laughs> like, yeah. Because like if anyone's in the room on the phone, they have to leave sort of a thing. Yeah. Or you can't use it when other people are sleeping loud. Um, I love ninja appliances though. So I have the blender, I have the foodie. Um, if we didn't get that espresso thing, I probably would eventually get their like, coffee maker i don't mm -hmm. know i'm just a big fan of their stuff so so today's podcast is sponsored by ninja kitchen i'm you should work on, <laughs> you should work on that like for real like i would <laughs> i would get a 10 percent discount code and plug their stuff all day i i love them um kind of fitting within within that question with appliances so this is more of like a selfish question but i'm sure a lot of our viewers have had this as well we've had like debates on it and googled it all the time and never really know uh any good answers so people that do have cast iron skillets, what are some good tips that you have for kind of the, the care around that? In other words, like how you should clean it, how you should, how you should prepare it before you've used it once, kind of what's your um, stance on kind of how you prepare those and, and keep them healthy? Good timing. Good timing. Last weekend, I just did a, a pretty deep dive on, 
on uh, cast iron care. So I tested out some of mine. Um, I was I was kind of in the camp like everyone else where you never use soap. You only scrape, use hot water, or maybe scour with a little bit of salt. So I was kind of in that camp because that's what you're taught. Uh, and then I saw some people like smart chefs like Jake N.G. Lopez all love his stuff. And he's like, yeah, you can use soap. You know, like if you've got a lot of gunk on there, you can use soap. It's not going to kill your pan. Those, um, that polymerization of the oils that's happened to create the non-stick surface, like just a little bit of soap is not going to break that down. Um, so anyway, you can use a little soap. I don't like pour soap in mine, but like if I've cooked something uh, and it's just made a mess, I use the same, like I have a little scrub daddy scour pad. Um, I'll use that, like kind of wring it out, but it's got a little bit of soap in there, hot water, clean it out. And then your biggest, my biggest tip for it would just be, you have to get it completely dry, like completely dry. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll usually like wash it well, wipe it down completely and then I'll put it on the stovetop on like low heat for maybe like five to ten minutes you just can't forget it's over there which I do sometimes um, but that'll completely dry it out then let it cool and store it um, you can so if it's well seasoned and like if you just buy it it's going to be well seasoned like most are pre-seasoned now uh, and that's going to last you a while over time especially if you're cooking stuff like every now and then I'll forget and I'll pour something that's like pretty acidic in um, so things like tomato sauces or, uh, very acidic marinades, like lots of citrus or something like that. The acid is going to, that'll break down that surface you've built up. So if you're cooking a lot of acidic stuff, that's going to really over time, it'll start to break down. And then you can do, so like I mentioned, dry it off, put it on the stovetop over low heat. You can kind of do a mild reseason there. So just put a little bit of neutral oil can be like grapeseed oil, avocado oil, they even sell cast iron oil. And just rub that in with a towel uh, and then let that, and you'll be able to see it. Like there shouldn't be, it shouldn't look wet at all. It should look just uniform in color and like no, no oil anywhere, like pools of oil or, or moisture anywhere. Um, you can do that, but the best really is doing what you see about putting it in the 500 degree oven upside down like that really does um it's it's a visual you can see it like you can see it i was kind of always like i don't know if you can really like visually tell if some if one's seasoned or not and then recently i did like four rounds on a very old cast iron skillet of the 500 degree oven rub the entire pan down with an oil put it upside down bake it for an hour pull it out and i repeated that about four or five times and then after about the fourth time, you're like, oh, that's a seasoned cast iron skillet. So uh, if you have, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, you can rejuvenate a really old one. Um, yeah, like no, no pan, I would say is probably beyond saving. But um, yeah, I mean, for most, for most people, if you're just rarely using it like once a week or something, because uh, that's something else to think about. I'm using mine way more than most. Right have it seasoned it'll last for a while even if you're hitting it with some soap every now and then just dry it out really really well um and then if it is if it does need some repair use the use the rub it down with oil bake it upside down at 500 for yeah. an hour and then repeat if necessary just be careful with that because yeah i burned my hand once doing that using that method that's why i kind of like 
strayed away from doing that for a while because I was like, Ooh, that's too dangerous. <laughs> but it's the best. I've never put a stovetop on 500 degrees. That just seems a little risky to oh, me. Oh, no, that one's, in, that one's in the oven. Oh, okay. yeah. You, that's what I mean. mean. Yeah. I still haven't. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. I haven't. <laughs> yeah. Even when it's 450, yeah. I'm like, okay, here we go. Yeah, I mean, and you could go lower. I mean, it doesn't right, have right. to be 500. You, you know, you could go, uh, if you've got an old oven on its last leg, you know, <laughs> go 400, you'd be all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a question that I've been uh, – I'm sure you get that stuff a lot. So it's cool. Do you have like an article or something like that yet? Or I think I'll put one together. Oh. Yeah. That's kind of, I was doing, um, yeah, I was kind of doing the research to put together an article or a video or something just because it is such a common question and there's lots of guides out there, but, um, a little bit, you know, conflicting information. So I'll just give my, my input on what I've tried. So, right. That's really cool. Uh, one other question too, it's kind of off the, off the rails here a little bit with um, question we get quite a bit too about oils when you're cooking, right? So again, even though I'm a dietitian, we don't know this stuff, but I understand there's the difference between like smoke points and things like that. So say if you're making a recipe much like yours, where you're doing a lot of the skillet type things, do you have say like a recommended oil list? Not, not based on health, but based upon like uh, not cook not like burning the food or ruining your pan like a recommended list and then like a stay away from list with like cooking it in a skillet no not really i um uh, my oil list is kind of like my spice list but probably even shorter like right. i you can use uh i use a good olive oil for i mean most nearly all of my recipes like if you get a good olive oil just roll with that like adds great flavor works just fine for nearly everything um other than that i like some there's some like specialty oils uh and by that i would mean like chili oil just be careful standing over the pan when you cook with it it's gonna light you up uh, and probably your whole house um sesame oil or toasted sesame oil and those are just going to give like a unique flavor um you could probably throw coconut oil in there uh, that's you know got that unique flavor profile um, I don't ever worry too much about smoke point or uh, anything like that. I don't ever run into issues. I mean, obviously, you know, like you're not throwing butter in, you know, like that's, you're going to run into some issues there. But uh, I, I mean, like olive oil, just you can get with that for a long ways, you know, keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, some people, even myself for a long time, have like not knowing if olive oil should be something that, uh, I can cook with, or if I should do canola oil, which I think has a higher smoke point and things like that. I would love to have the peace of mind of just buying just olive oil for me. So mm -hmm. that's, that's good to learn. Um, you could use your, your vegetable oil to season your cast iron skillet. I probably yeah. wouldn't use olive. You won't want to use olive oil there. So you can use up your stores of canola oil now. <laughs> I literally bought some like last week. So it's great. <laughs> uh, when you can cook with it too, like there's yeah, nothing yeah. wrong with it. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, very cool. So uh, something else, we're nearing the end here, but something else that um, really pertinent to, to our population and kind of your, your branding too is making something in between, you know, it's not going to be as healthy as just, you know, chicken and broccoli sort of a thing. We're going to add some more flavor in there, but it's not going to be terrible for you either. What are some of your, you mentioned a few like Swerve, um, I believe with like a brown sugar, I think it's brown sugar, maybe like a barbecue sauce, something like that you've mentioned too. 
what are some of your favorite substitutes for lowering things like the fat content in meals that typically may be really high in fat naturally or lower sugar? Uh, it could be just like a substitution of like applesauce or whatever, or like a brand of things too. I really like if it's just a particular brand that has a lower calorie, lower fat. Are there any kind of staples you like for those healthy substitutes? Yeah. Uh, in terms of cooking, like I'll start out by saying the things that I used to substitute that I don't like substituting anymore. So, uh, oils, I used to never use oils, period. I would use like cooking spray, which you're probably getting some calories there anyway. So let's just go ahead and use the real thing. Um, the only like exception there might be if you're making something that's a little smaller batch, like, like an egg or something. I mean, no need to probably use, just use a nonstick skillet, maybe a little cooking spray, but probably don't need it. But anyway, use the oils there. They do provide a ton of flavor. It's usually worth it, especially if you're making something that's got like, um, like if, like I mentioned onion and garlic earlier, like yeah. if you can saute some onion in some olive oil, I mean, you get some magical flavor happening there. Whereas like if you just throw the onions in the pan and even with like a little bit of water, you're just missing out on some magic there. And like getting that garlic in the pan and some other aromatics, like does some great things. So keep the oil in. And then the other would be like full fat cheese. I used to use reduced fat and even, I hate to say it, but even that fat free stuff, uh, the pre-shredded fat free cheese. You used to use that in some recipes. You probably- uh, That stuff would not melt. You could no, because it's not real. <laughs> it would not. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like plastic. Um, yeah, so use use the use full fat cheese fresh off the block. Grate it yourself if you can. It's worth it's worth the effort in washing your box grater. Uh, but anyway, those are the two that I wouldn't swap. Uh, in terms of like, I'll just give kind of my staple ingredients that I would consider substitutes. So like you mentioned, Swerve, they make. Uh, they make a granulated sugar substitute, a powdered sugar substitute, the brown sugar substitute. Um, the brown sugar is probably the only one that I use regularly in savory recipes. The other two would be primarily for um, baked goods like desserts and things like that. Or maybe doughs, like I'll make a pizza dough with uh, granulated swerve. Uh, and there are other sugar substitutes out there. That's just my favorite. It substitutes one for one like sugar. It caramelizes like sugar. You get all the same sciencey things that happen with sugar with that that you may lose out if you use something like sucralose or stevia or, or whatever. Um, anyway, that's a good one. Uh, canned pumpkin. We'll start with Greek yogurt is a superstar. You know, like Greek yogurt, you can do all kinds of stuff with. You can put it in a baked goods. It's kind of an oil or fat replacement. Uh, so you can still get moist baked goods without tons of oil. Um, and you kind of get some binding properties there too, because there's the protein content. So like if you're doing gluten-free baking, having some protein and some extra added protein in there because you lose the gluten really helps like create that crumb. Uh, and then you can use it in savory dishes. Like obviously most people have seen like a Greek yogurt dough by now. So like just all purpose flour, Greek yogurt, you can make everything from biscuits to pizza dough to breadsticks. I made monkey bread recently, like all kinds of stuff. Um, Greek yogurt's a great one. There's your classic ones like um, canned pumpkin. That's a good fat replacement. Uh, mainly, I would mainly use it in like baked goods and desserts. Um, and pumpkin's great because it's it doesn't have a very much flavor at all, especially compared to like comparable ingredients like 
applesauce or mashed banana. Um, mashed avocado is a great one, but it's very high fat. So I typically err more on the side of like lower fat cooking. So I don't use avocado ever really. Um, those are those are kind of the big ones I would say. Uh, protein sources like you can find really lean cuts of meat these days. Like there's no reason and unless you want to like why are you eating like the fattiest cuts of meat when you can find things like a pork loin, pork tenderloin, pork chops, whatever center cut bacon, really lean ground beef, ground chicken. You can even probably get the meat section of your grocery store to, to grind your own, like grind chicken breast for you in the store. If not, you can go to a butcher and they'll do it. Um, what else? The carbs, I think the carbs, like, those are that's one where I like wouldn't spend too much time making my own carb sources kind of like you talked about earlier where you can do so many different carb sources lots of them are already made these days so like cauliflower rice is a popular cauliflower anything is popular um, but cauliflower rice you can buy frozen um, there's plenty of like rice alternatives like right rice or bonza makes a rice now it's like lower carb high protein bonza pasta chickpea pasta palmini pasta which is you know palm heart pasta which is like super low carb um those types of things just buy those you know i'm not gonna Probably. there's no point in making them yourself like unless you just really love cooking you know or like really love like buying because you'll probably need gadgets too so maybe you could get into this yeah <laughs> like my yeah. chickpea pasta yeah we tried the <laughs> We tried the bonza. I think we've made a few of your pasta recipes. We couldn't find that. So we just use regular stuff. And then we found it at Whole Foods because it's bright orange, which so is pretty yeah. easy to like to see. I don't think we've seen the rice. We haven't used the rice. Um, I kind of like the carbs and rice, to be honest. I don't, I'm not on a low carb <laughs> diet personally, but the pasta was nice. We looked at the protein content and I was like, holy cow, like that's, it's like, you almost didn't, wouldn't need meat in the recipe. Like it's a right. lot of protein. It's like 20 something per uh, serving. So we had that and I really couldn't tell a big difference. Um, I mean, obviously you're mixing it. I forgot. It was one of your, uh, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was what? It was, maybe it was the Cajun dish. Mm, yeah. I think so with like the sausage and stuff like that. We, we did that dish and I loved it. So I'm, I'm generally one to stay away from the, like, I don't want to say health foods, but like the health alternative foods, like rice is bad, eat this kind of rice or pasta is bad, eat that kind. Just because I don't, the whole idea of flexible diet is you don't need to do that. But there can be some benefits where it is just objectively higher in protein. So it can't just be a better thing. Or if it's something that realistically you probably can't do like put in a fourth of a cup of sugar into your protein cookies or whatever you're making then it makes sense so those are uh, good anything else on the even like food wise like they don't have to be made but just kind of uh any other food alternatives you kind of buy for for healthier stuff uh i don't think so you know like i i kind of uh yeah, I mean, I would kind of agree with what you're saying there. Like, and the only, yeah, like the only reason I guess I would say substitute would be if it's the difference between you being able to eat pasta and not. Like, yeah. if you're on a, if you're a smaller person that just doesn't have the carbs to spare for pasta and you can't have pasta, but then we can give you pasta somehow. Like, 
that's a huge win. Um, that's great. But yeah, in terms of like other substitutes, I mean, just like eat vegetables if you can, you know, I mean, don't make it too complicated. Like get good at cooking your proteins and your meats, um, get ones you like, and then as many vegetables as you can have, because man, you get to eat so much more food if you just eat those vegetables and they don't have to be boring either. Like lots of ways to, to make the vegetables, um, you know, not only like palatable, but enjoyable. So, you know, yeah, I think that's it. Like, don't, don't get too, don't get too like hacky with it. Like don't do too many food hacks because you know, like then you end up eating probably like you and I both did in the beginning, like making, I don't know, like egg white cups or something. That's like, just like egg whites. Yeah. It's like egg whites. And I don't know, like just egg white (laughs) baked. It's funny because we would, I, you know, I competed in bodybuilding. So I've done all those things. I've done the Walden farm sauce and break (laughs) myself into telling like it was good. I had friends try it. You know, you got to try this calorie free syrup. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's so weird on what you think tastes good when you're in that kind of mindset. And I work with a lot of physique competitors and some of that stuff can be helpful, like say during their contest prep, but I always try to have them when they're transitioning to like, I call them diet foods to try to like not have that be a part of your every day, right? I do not want to see someone have like you said, egg white, pumpkin, vanilla protein pancakes, and then a quest bar for a snack. And then, you know, all of this stuff, right? Like again, what is necessary have it, or, you know, if you're two weeks out from a show, you know, do it, but it shouldn't be like a, you know, part of your 365 diet, in my opinion, again, whole idea is yeah. to, fit normal ish foods into your diet and teach you it's not that big of a deal you can do it so uh last question i had for you so again you are um living in austin texas we won't give your exact location for all the crazy food blog (laughs) fanboys out there um but austin is obviously known as um well i don't know if obvious generally speaking, I'm from Oklahoma city. So people know Austin is a big like food culture place with food trucks and all of those things. So what are some of your staples? Like, you know, coffee shops, uh, food trucks you like down there. Maybe if you want to even throw jabs, maybe some places that are kind of overrated in your opinion, what's your, your, uh, stance on the food scene down in Austin? Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll just say this. I'll say that, out of the places you'll find on lists. So like if you Google, like if you're visiting Austin and you Google best places in Austin, um, I would say probably 75% on the list that we've tried have been overrated for sure. Yeah. Um, a lot of the stuff is not on the list and maybe that's a good thing. Um, but I, I'll say if you go to just a Mexican restaurant, Tex-Mex restaurant, whatever you're probably going to be fine like most of those are going to be fine um there's a place called el alma and that's on barton springs i think it's on barton springs uh south austin it's it's really good um the same guys own a peruvian restaurant called yuyo which is in east austin that's really good Uh, especially like if you're a if you're a carnivore uh really good dishes there like meat and potatoes but um spicy um uh bird bird biscuit is 
Uh, also East Austin Biscuit Company, you gotta go there for breakfast if you're in town. Uh, there's one place that's gonna be on the list called Gordo's. You can go to the restaurant or to the food truck and they sell massive donuts. Uh, the restaurant, so the truck will just have donuts and then the restaurant will have like dishes made with donuts, like obnoxious dishes, like burgers on donuts and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. Um, and I, I mean, it's good. Like <laughs> it's a place that I like didn't want to like, but then you have it and okay. Yeah, I get it. Uh, that's one that's actually lives up to the hype. Uh, there's a place called bougies donuts. We love. Um, and then I'll say like the, uh, the legend of Franklin barbecue lives up to the hype. That's one that uh, my fiance, if you're coming into town, you can order online and pick it up. It's the place that you have to wait in line for like six hours. Uh, but if you order online and just pick it up, you can just drive straight up and pick it up. You have to order five pounds of it though. So you'll want to share with some friends. Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah. So you'll, you'll, you'll want to bring an appetite and be ready to share, but get the, just the beef brisket there is legendary and for a good reason. Uh, also something that I didn't want to like as much as I did. Um, let's see. That's a pretty good lit. That's a pretty good start. Um, South, we, we like the South Congress area. It's a little like on weekends, it does get a little bit like you can tell people from out of town are in, but you got some great restaurants down there. Um, we don't go downtown too often. Um, yeah. South Congress, East Austin, you can find some great restaurants. Yeah. That's a really good start. Do you remember some of the places we went? We, we were in Austin maybe a couple of months ago for some of her interviews and it was a, uh, it was a fun time eating some foods. If anything, it's like as someone visiting, it's, it's hard to narrow things down. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, you look up Tex-Mex and it's like, which one do we go to? You kind of go by location mm -hmm. and we weren't disappointed. She may find some of the names of stuff. We went to an Italian place that was amazing. It was more like a bougie place, not more of a food truck. I wish I would remember some of these names. It looked like a biscuit place and just got like a, uh, we've been to Flower Child, but I think that's more of like a, a staple there. Plant-based. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, some biscuit place we had that was, was really good. The coffee shops were, were cool. It's, I think, I think the Italian was Juno. We haven't been there. We haven't been there. Yeah. But, Vanessa loves, my, my fiance loves Italian, but I'm not the, the biggest fan. It, I feel like it's always hard to find a good place. So maybe we'll have to check out Juno. Yeah. And it's bad. We know his fault that it is. Yeah. <laughs> juniper is the name juniper. Okay. Yeah. okay uh yeah it was i'm also not an italian person but it was it was really good they had what was the like appetizer thing they had that was so good it was like potatoes but like potatoes like yeah these these little like puffs like potatoes. potato puffs things it was mm. it was good but yeah i would say the the stuff in austin definitely lives up to the hype on the food we haven't we didn't go to any like the top 10 places in Austin because again I'm not gonna wait I'm not gonna wait an hour in line for food to be honest with you <laughs> um, yeah. but uh yeah it's it's really fun just to have that sort of variety to always go to I'm sure you'd ever really if you want to you probably don't have to uh, settle for the same places over and over you always kind of have that so um I love to just the such like a laid-back person 
my like least favorite thing is to go to like a fancy steakhouse where everyone's like got their stuff on and like their wine. <laughs> I just like going to eat. I feel like all the places in Austin are like that where it's like really good food, but you can just walk in like in your yoga pants. Like no yeah. one, cares, you know. So very true. Cool. Um, yeah, man. That, really- yeah, that's very true. Good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's all I had. I really appreciate your time. Um, any other thoughts you want to leave uh, the listeners with? I would say uh, start cooking as soon as possible, which everyone's probably cooking right now as we record this, but uh, cook as much as you can. And like, you kind of touched on this earlier, but like the more you cook, especially if you start with just a couple recipes and and you get good at those, the same thing happens with cooking anything. So like, it's a skill, it's a great life skill. it, it's not going to be the most fun in the beginning because you're not going to be good at it. Uh, you're going to have to clean up after yourself. Like it's work, but if you stick with it, like any skill, the better you get at it, the more fun it becomes, the, the better the food is. And then before you know it, you'll be making dishes that you're like really like proud of. And that's a good feeling. Like it becomes fun. Uh, and it's, I'll say it's much easier to, to stay on track with like your nutrition goals when you're cooking at home. It really is like, that sounds cliche, but um, like, especially once you get good at it and you got some good recipes in your wheelhouse and, and skills in there, it's just, I mean, you can fire up the, the stove at any point and make something that's in line with what you need to be eating for the, the day or week or whatever. Yeah. You make some awesome points there. I think one of the things is that someone that like even I wouldn't sound like a good cook I forget what like normal people are like and I have friends you know see like photos that I make or come over and have something and like it's really I don't want to say it's basic but it's like you know eggs and potatoes and chicken sausage and some bell peppers and a thing they're like oh my god that's crazy you know so (laughs) to like impress your family and your friends with cooking is not that big of a jump because most people are just they make their eggs and toast and that's it. Yeah. So you really can, you can get some like social status with, with having some fun cooking. <laughs> and uh, that's true. <laughs> I think something else, I had this thought a few months ago. I, don't, I may have made an Instagram thought, but like um, post about it, but I was thinking like learning how to cook at home has to be the, one of the most like valuable skills a person can learn because a it saves you a ton of money. B it's just significantly easier to, eat well, like healthy foods, regardless of your goals to lose fat or just be a healthy person or build muscle. It's easier when you're at home, you're in more control. And then third, it's usually a, a, um, trait, the opposite sex finds attractive you know what I mean? <laughs> for both sides, you know, yeah. like again, yeah. that's something else that just like, if you meet a guy that can really cook or a girl that can really cook, that's something that, like you really appreciate. Um, especially if you've ever dated anybody that hasn't, you know, if someone's just like, can't cook an egg you probably really appreciate if someone could like make up a nice breakfast with french toast and stuff so yeah i think learning how to cook is like there's very few things that can affect your health your finances and maybe your relationship um sex life yeah yeah Yeah, that's true so i think i can only i can only imagine how great it is living with me yeah exactly (laughs) trifecta so i'm kidding (laughs) uh yeah, I really appreciate your time. And again, uh, you can drop your, I'll put it in the show notes, of course, but your Instagram and your website, what are they? 
uh, Instagram, just at Mason underscore Woodruff, um, and the website, masonfit.com from my fitness blogging days. Yes. Yeah. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get that home gym <laughs> stuff on there soon too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll go back to it. The, get the whole, whole, uh, food, fitness, everything back under one roof. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate your time, man. Yes, sir. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you.